0: Pull it together. This is, Bible says, be ready. Yes, thank you. That'd be great. Bible says, be ready in season and out of season. Uh, And I don't know about you, but I feel a little out of season. Yeah, like, uh, and just people that I'm talking to, just sort of, thank you. uh, Seem to feel like, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just feel a little out of season. Uh, The Bible calls us to be ready in season and out of season. Psalm chapter one says, the one that delights and the Lord is like a tree planted beside streams of living water. And, and, and this week again, in our place, the streams of living water have just come closer, right? It's <laughs> uh, but it says, and it bears its fruit in season. But like if you're a gardener in this place, you know that even in, in, in the off season, there's something happening. right? It doesn't look like life, but there's something happening. But I don't know about you, I just, I just want to relate. Like My pastor, heart, if I can just talk to you as a, as a pastor for a moment before I talk to you as a preacher. Um, it's so nice to see so many people here today, to see some people out. Uh, because I know that for a lot of you, life is busy and, and life is hard, and life is. And you, maybe you don't even know what it is. You just go, ah, oh, just you know, call it a COVID hangover. I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, but just, there just seems to be this sense that people go, I just feel a little bit out of sorts. Um, and, and the pastor in me longs to just gather our people and just longs to have you here and go, it's okay. You don't have to have it all together right now. I don't particularly feel like I have it all together right now. But let's help each other. Let's carry each other's burdens. Let's be community. And one of the hardest things for me that's made me feel a little bit out of season, and I'm not saying this to, to twist your arms or to try, but, but it's just like we've been so sporadic. We've been all over the place. We've been, you know, and amen, have a holiday, have a break. I'm not saying like you're an evil person if you don't come to church. But my pastor's heart together has been in this tension with the fact that we've all felt quite scattered. And so I'm glad that I've got you here this morning, not so that I've got a captive audience to preach to, but so that I can just for a moment pastor to you and say, I'm glad you're here. And I know that it feels a little bit for some of us like we're out of season, but that's okay. Uh, let's stay planted together. Let's, let's not grow weary in doing good, because if we keep doing good at the right time, we will reap a harvest, right? And so I just, I just want to simply encourage you. That's, that's part of the reason for this bulletin is just to share some things that are going on and, and a space to continue to be able to encourage you uh, because I think you're doing a great job. I, I see the struggles and works and family and marriages and all these different things, but keep turning up, keep doing the things, and I'm just I'm so encouraged by that. And, and I was talking to Sue uh, this week, talking to some others this week, but talking to Sue just briefly this morning. Uh, and she reminded me of a word that she had last year. That was about three D's. So you know it's Baptist because it's got alliteration. Um, but last year she felt that God had said that there were three things in our church, and it was about it was about doubt, division, and, and delay. And I just want to speak to those real quickly before I get into into my sermon. Um, because I don't like the, the whole division thing. I don't think we're divided in the sense that we're all fighting. I actually think there's a beautiful authenticity here. There's a good relationship thing. I just think we're divided in the sense that we're all scattered. And, and if you wanna um, you wanna defeat an enemy, you want you wanna defeat an army. What's the best thing you can do? Wear them thin. And so in the temptation and and interpret this as you will. I'm not going. Let's get our Sunday attendance up. That's not my goal. Right? That's not my measurable. My measurable is community. But going in this sense, like, I feel like it's a little bit like that divide and conquer thing. I just feel like we spread, but I feel like there's something that happens when we come together, when we pray for each other. Not just during the week, but be mindful of your Christian brothers and sisters in your prayer time during the week. There's something about that. It's very easy to get fixated on ourselves and what's going on in my life. But again, remember, as we've been looking at Christian community, kingdom community, share each other's burdens. And in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. And sometimes someone else's burden is lighter than your own. So if you share a bit of them with yours with them and you sh- they share theirs with you, you go, well, I can carry that because that's not mine and it's a little bit easier. So let's help each other. Let's draw together. Doubt. I, I think perhaps this other word for doubt could be discouragement. I just, I feel a little bit discouraged and I think, I think others feel a little bit discouraged. I think that would be fair to say. Um, what's, what's the remedy for discouragement? Encouragement, right? yeah. yeah? And so I just want to encourage you, and I want you to encourage yourself. And the Bible talks about being encouraged in the Lord. And so, again, as I've already said, let's not give up doing good, but let's keep that, Let's you know, those doubts, because sometimes you go, is it worth it all? Like, ah, oh, man, do I keep going? How long do I keep trying? Like, like I thought this was going to be like a six-month thing, and now it's a 12-month thing. And, and, and so you get that discouraged, you get that doubt that it's ever going to get better. But I just, as, 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 a, as a pastor, briefly, I just want to remind you, that, that the Bible says that the one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. And the Bible says that he's faithful to complete the work that he started. And the Bible says uh, that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think, ask, or imagine. And as we've already said, that if you wait on him, he will renew your strength. So, so it's okay to feel discouraged. But I want to remind you that in your discouragement, there's a God who encourages you. And I want to remind you that the enemy would want to divide you, but God brings people together. God is a God of restoration. We looked at that last week, right? Uh, And then finally, delay. Uh, There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things going on. And sometimes our delay is just more of a sense of, is anything moving? Uh, and that's, again, why we wanted to highlight some of the things that are going on with the Connect Mobile Trust. Uh, we've got meetings this week with a couple of people who are coming in. This, there are things brewing in this church and opportunities brewing in this community that are just beyond. We've got council representatives coming this week from the district council because they want to find out more about what we're doing. Again, this will be like the third time we've sat with them now. Um, We've got someone else coming uh, this week as well. I forget his name and I forget where he's from, but Sue jacked it up and so I know it's good. It's um, <laughs> this, this my bad. Um, but there's a lot of things happening. So I want to encourage you. The church is on the move. But I also want to encourage you in the sense of that delay As often we go, I'll sit back and I'll wait. And we were praying about this this morning as a worship team. We tend to just go, I'll just sit and wait and see what happens. And then when it's moving, I'll, I'll get on it. But actually, the, the Bible describes God's people as, as catalytic. We're actually supposed to be pioneers. We're supposed to be front foot. Um, I was talking to the worship team in the sense of them being Levites. God used to send them out before. And so I want to remind you that yes, in this season of, of that feels like delay, one, it's not as delayed as you think it might be. And two, let's not put off what God's doing. I know it might be hard. We might go, oh, can we just, like maybe you're a little bit like me and you've just gone, oh, can we just get 2022 over and done with? Because like there's only three months. What can you do in three months? Actually, God can do a lot with three months if you'll let him. So, so in the sense of feeling like things have been delayed, let's not further put things off, right? Uh, so I just want to encourage you, again, don't be discouraged. Um, what? No, actually, I want to give you permission. It's okay that you're discouraged, but don't stay discouraged because God encourages you in your discouragement. And, uh, you know, let's not be divided. I'm glad you're here. I hope you're still glad that I'm here. Uh, let's do church together. Let's be community together. Let's pursue the kingdom dream together. Amen? All right, good. I'm going to put my preaching hat on. Oh, can someone give me a glass of water? That'd be right. You just... Thanks, Dave. Oh, not everybody. Just one will be fine. Um, <laughs> going to have like six before I know it. That'll be. Uh, the Kingdom Dream. We're at part four this morning. Uh, I, always, I always love it uh, when you hear people talking about your sermons like during the week or on Sunday they refer to them because you know that obviously means you're saying something that matters. Uh, other times you preach and no, you never hear about it ever again. So, so I, I take that to, to mean that what we're talking about matters. And not because I'm preaching it, but because the content and the subject is important. The kingdom dream. And if you're just joining us, um, this whole thing, uh, thank you very much. Good sir, I'll take one right now. Oh, there's no salt in that. Well done. That's, <laughs> um The the kingdom dream started in this thing for me, like, you know, we talk about the Kiwi dream or the American dream, the Aussie dream, uh, really the Western dream, the things we pursue. But I feel that the church is called to pursue something else. Uh, I think when we look at Acts chapter two, when we look at the book of Acts, when we look at what the early church pursued, it's very different to some of the things that we try to pursue in the Western church. And so I just went on this journey of going, what if we gave up the Western dream and started to look at the kingdom dream? Uh, and there's a lot of things that have been rolling around in my head uh, about that. If you've missed any of the ones that we've already been through, this is part four, so there's three before it, can I encourage you to listen to them? Uh, you can. Some people have told me the strangest places that they listen to my voice. It's uncomfortable to me, but whatever. Uh, listen to the podcasts or watch them online, whatever it takes. Uh, not because it's me, but because I believe that the content is important. I believe it shapes us as a church. Uh, so you can get those on Apple, Spotify, our, our Facebook page, wherever you get your podcasts from, whatever, or our church website. Uh, But we've looked at three parts. So so we started by looking at kingdom community. And we talked about uh, what it looks like in Acts chapter 2. They had a kingdom kingdom outpouring, but they also had a kingdom community. And sometimes we want kingdom outpouring without kingdom community. But we looked at the way they lived and and we looked at particularly Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 46, which unpacks some of that. We summarized it. Um, in fact, just I, I want to go through a series of observations, six observations that lay a flat foundation so that I can build this morning. Observation one was what I just said. We want an Acts 2 outpouring without an Acts 2 community. Observation number two came from our, our, our second sermon, which was about kingdom authority. Uh, and it was this, the Western dream is the pursuit of an unyielded life, autonomous and independent, out from the authority of others. But the kingdom dream is a pursuit of, of a life yielded to Christ. Uh, And observation three was when we yield ourselves to Christ, he produces his yield in us. Remember John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Galatians chapter five talks about the fruit of the spirit. Against these things, there is no law. Observation number four was last week when we looked at kingdom continuity, this idea that now is connected to eternity. And we like to sort of cut them and go, what happens here doesn't matter there. But if God is a God of, and observation four was God is not a God of reset. He's a God of restoration. And we saw that through Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Mike unpacked a great one with me this morning from 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Uh, but God is in the business of restoration. Observation number five was that we are now called to be God's restoration on the earth. Not one day, but here now today. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. For anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But verse 18 says all of this is from God who reconciled himself to us through Jesus and now gives us the ministry of reconciliation. God is not a God of reset. He's a God of restoration. We are called to be God's restoration on the earth now. And observation six, uh, as we talked about the kingdom, inheriting and inhabiting the kingdom of God, uh, sorry, inheriting and entering. And the greatest proof that you are in the kingdom of God is whether the kingdom of God is present in you. Because the Bible says that the kingdom of God is within you and among you and out of your innermost being will flow streams of living water. And then, of course, the main observation of all of this that I've run right through everything is, I believe that if we as Christians, if if we as Connect can learn to pursue the kingdom dream, that we will see kingdom reality in our lifetime. And so those observations bring us to part four this morning, which is kingdom accountability. Kingdom accountability. And uh, hopefully this is going to draw a bit of a thread through some other things. I've had a few other people say, like, what do you mean by that? What? Like, by this one, I hope that'll tie some of those up. Uh, but when I was 18 years old, uh, I worked as a store manager at Domino's Pizza. And, um, and so uh, it was a good time. Um, I ate a lot of pizza during that time, drank a lot of Coke during that time. I think it was actually Pepsi then. Uh, but you could get, a as a staff person, you could get a whole large pizza for $6 and a 2.5, no, 1.5 litre bottle of Coke for 2 or the you could get a six hundred mil for two fifty. You're like, well, it's cheaper, so it's economical. But not in other senses. But anyway, so working, I was working the day shift, and I had a small crew that I was sort of responsible for throughout the day. Uh, and we had to make sure that all the prep work was done, so that when the evening shift started, which was when it really got busy, because not many people have pizza for lunch, but everybody has pizza for dinner. Uh, and, and so my job was to make sure that everything was ready. Make motivate my team so that when the evening rush came, it was sorted. And on this particular day, I was stuck in this uh, in this place where, like, I had we were a couple of staff members down. We had a new a staff member. And, and so I was trying to offer direction and something just went horribly, horribly wrong. I tell you, I can't even remember what it was anymore. I just remember that it like upset the whole apple cart for the evening and the afternoon and something wasn't done or something was done wrong. And then we didn't have the food to replace it or whatever. Uh, and it was done through carelessness of someone on my team. And uh, so anyway, four o'clock rolled around and, and my boss rolled up and this problem existed. This thing had happened. And to my shock, he yelled at me, right? Like, like fear to say, he Gordon Ramsay'd me, right? Like it was—it wasn't just like it was, this was hospitality. We're not nice to people in hospitality. Like I got the what for? And you know, I was sort of standing there, like kind of shocked, like at what I was receiving. And then at the end, I'm like, "But I didn't do it. He did it." And he goes, "But he's not accountable to me. He's accountable to you. You're accountable to me." And you, this happened on your watch. And so you go yell at him if you want to. I don't care what you do, but I'm yelling at you. <laughs> See, I was held to a higher standard of accountability because of the position and the relationship I had with the owner. I'll say that again. I was held to a higher standard of accountability because of the position and the relationship I had with the owner. He was the best man at my, well, not the best. He was one of the groomsmen at my wedding. Uh, But so there's this idea that relationship and position brings accountability. And as we talk about kingdom accountability, uh, I think it's important to remember that as we are people of God's word, we have to be accountable. If I could borrow again, I I referenced superhero movies last week. I can do them again this week. Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. It's actually biblical, which we'll see later on, not just uh, Marvel truth. Um, see, First uh, John chapter 2, verse 6, says this. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. What I love about this is that it, basically what's implied is those who don't claim to live in God, do what you want. Like, We'll, talk, we'll come to that later. Like, let me tell you something here. If you're not a Christian this morning, the rules do not apply to you. But neither do the benefits. <clears throat> I'll leave it there. But those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And, and so when we say this, you know, there's this kind of... And as I'll show you, the Bible is clear that those who claim to be in Christ are held to an accountability because of the position and the relationship they have with the Creator. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because that's not what we teach. Like you have to think about it. If you were to summarize Western Christianity, our Western gospel in a nutshell, it's kind of this. Uh, When you, the God of reset, when you come to him and you pray a prayer, all accountability goes out the window. Like that's kind of what we teach. We teach the gospel as freedom from accountability. There's no more accountability. The Bible says there's no more condemnation. It does not say there's no more accountability. In fact, I want to show you a series of verses. I'm just going to go through them uh, because I, yeah, let me show, the, I'll just show you these ones. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Did I give you that one? No, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. What What'll I give you? 4.13. That's what we just read, isn't it? Yeah. What's the next one? Romans fourteen twelve. 12. Oh, yeah, well, that'll work. <laughs> <clears throat> for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Did I give you Romans 14, 12, or did I not? Okay, again, uh, it says each of us will give a personal account to God. And one of the things that I need us to understand this morning is all of these texts are written to Christians. They're written to the church. He, like Because we tend to read those and go, not me, I'm forgiven. And, and, and I, uh, <laughs> can I be clear? I realize that we just talked about not being discouraged, and straight away you can read that and go, I feel discouraged. <laughs> but I, I, I think this—I think we need to talk about this, and maybe not just us, but here's what's important. Like you only have to turn on the news at the moment or, or read an article to know that one of the biggest things that is affecting... Thank you. There you go. So every one of us should give an account to God. Romans 14, 12. Uh, like... What's the biggest beef? Like everyone, right at the moment, there's a a big one that everybody's waiting for in our own country concerning a megachurch. The world, the nation, is waiting with bated breath to see will the church accept accountability? Aren't they? If you don't know what I'm talking about, lucky you. But it lives rent free in my head at the moment. Um, But we're seeing all these things happening around the world, and, and, and the question is, will the church accept accountability? Will they accept responsibility for these things that have happened on their watch? I think one of the biggest things that does us damage in in the modern day for Christianity is the places where the church has failed to have accountability in the past, right? And things have happened. Atrocities have happened. um, Because, dare I say it, we have used our accountability to God to excuse us from being accountable to community. Only God can judge me. Kind of go, yeah, and he is. (laughs) So, so, so again, this, this isn't a condemnation, this is a freedom thing, because kingdom living in kingdom brings us to this place of kingdom accountability, which will lead us to kingdom reality. See, as I've already said, one of the most damaging things about Christianity is the absence of accountability. And people love to get on. I want you to think uh, about every revival you've ever seen. When you think about Every outpouring of the Spirit, either you've seen it, read about it, seen it on the news. What eventually sinks that ship? A lack of accountability. Something eventually. And, and, and you know, I was talking to uh, my friend Cam in Invercargill, and so you can write letters to him rather than letters to me. Um, because we were talking about, and I'd given him this, this, this quote about, you know, we want an Acts 2 outpouring without an Acts 2 community. And he said, or an Acts 5 accountability. And I went, what happened in Acts 5? Oh, God struck, struck Anna and Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira dead for lying to him. Oh, you yeah, know, I don't like that bit, right? But it was, the, it was the, see, because of the outpouring, because of the presence of God, the accountability was high. And, and so I, the reason that we're addressing this is because I want you to know if you are praying for an outpouring, you are praying for accountability. You can't ask for one without the other. And so we sit in this place and I think sometimes this is why we don't see God move the way we want because we go, God, I want your outpouring. I just don't want to have to do anything with it or for it. But I believe if we're going to see God move, we have to embrace kingdom accountability. And it might not be a fun fun one to talk about, but I think it's the crucial one. And again, I believe if we master it, and we embrace it, we will see an outpouring that doesn't just visit for a time, but an outpouring that remains. An outpouring that goes beyond anything we can think, ask, or imagine. See, as I said, all these verses written to followers of Christ, forgiven, born again Christians. But it's almost like God doesn't take sides. Shane talked about that while he was here. God doesn't take sides. He builds community, or he builds kingdom, and so accountability is about surviving in that kingdom, thriving in that kingdom. I love, I love the way that, that um, Shane puts it uh, when he says, um, you know, we spend all of this time asking ourselves the question, will I go to heaven? He goes, maybe the better question is, if heaven invaded your life right now, would you even like it? Right? Or if, if, let me say it this way, if heaven invaded your life right now, what parts of you would survive? Yeah. Because again, if God's a God of restoration, we work on these things. We don't just go, oh, well, one day, one day. See, we've been using Matthew 25 a bit uh, over this series because I was talking about the parable of the talents and the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, can I read them to you both back to back? Because I find them really interesting. One is about um, basically being a good steward of having a lot, and one of them is about what you do for people that have nothing. But I want you to see something in them, and then I'm going to leverage that to set you free this morning. So I'm not going to put you under bondage this morning. I'm going to set you free this morning. Does that sound good? So we can walk out of here encouraged, not discouraged. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Right, here we go. Uh, So let's start with Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their ability. I want you to listen to that sentence really quickly. Dividing it in proportion to their ability. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. And after a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account, to give an account, this might shock you, but accountability is actually an accounting term, Um, to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master said, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing in teeth. I feel encouraged. How about you? Um, <clears throat> so, so there's a couple of observations there. Number one, if you were to go back a verse, people love to make a very good argument for capitalism there, which, whatever. Um, but the next one becomes a little bit difficult again. So here's, here's what I notice The master, I mean, I think it's safe to say that one of the people didn't know their master very well. But what we can also see is that the master knew them very well. Because he gave them what they could do according to their ability. And so so he gave this this third servant one bag of silver or one talent, depending on the, the, the version you read, the story you read. Because he knew he had the capacity to grow it. It wasn't a gamble. Can I I tell you something? God doesn't gamble with you. He doesn't take a gamble on you. He doesn't take a chance on you. He knows you. He's put gifts in you. He's given you things because he knows you. And he knows what you're capable of, perhaps even more than you do. The question then becomes, I guess in this case, is do you know him? Because the servant who who was known by God but didn't know him was motivated by fear and didn't know himself, right? And so he buried it in the ground. Let's go to the next story. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. Immediately, the the very next story, which just raises all sorts of questions. But when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For when I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? And then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal life, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't me." Let's go a little bit faster. Otherwise, we're going to be here at Christmas. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? Next one. And I will answer. You get the thing, right? You're following me. It's the same thing. I, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And you go, those are two incredibly confronting verses, especially the way they end but here's what I want to like. Here's why I find them interesting. Because one is about using your money to make money, and the other one is about giving what you have to people that don't have. And so you you very quickly realise that the two major economic systems that we base our kingdom on don't work, because God's kingdom is based on something so countercultural. But regardless of that, I want to steer around that. I want to both of those passages. Jesus is talking. There's another one before that as well about the the virgins with their jars of oil. The entirety of Matthew chapter 25 is about accountability. What's the theme? It's like, well, God's going to ask what you did with his money. God's going to ask what you did with his love. God's going to ask what you did with his gift. And, and, and like, that make anyone else a little uncomfortable? Sure. We don't, we don't like these because we, we, you know, we like the, the uplifting things. I'm fine. I'm good. I like it. Like, life's hard enough. And Again, here's what I want you to understand. I, I mentioned already that accountability is an accounting term, right? Account, account, the ability to account for. Can it be measured? And, and often this whole thing about being accountable is about, the word is about being weighed. And here's what I find really interesting about the parable of the talents. Is that they are weighed according to what they were given. They were weighed according to what they had capacity for, not what they didn't. See, if you can follow this line of thought for me for a minute, uh, I wanted to have a set of like those butchers' scales. Uh, I wanted to have a, you know, because if you put five bags of silver on one side and five bags of silver on the other side, what happens? They balance, right? You put, you put two bags on one side and two on the other, what happens? They, they balance if they're the same weight, right? And so what's really interesting to me is the the accountability in all of these things is not about, well, he made five, you only made two, right? It's not about like, see, so often we compare our Christian lives to someone else's Christian lives. And this is where I want to set you free this morning. We compare our Christian lives. And so we we go, well, I made five, and then we borrow five from the other person and put it on ours and go, God is not measuring you this morning on unrealistic expectations. God is not measuring you this morning based on someone else's life. You know, Shane and I were talking about this uh, as well over over lunch um, because his life and my life have taken two very different directions. And he goes, but you can't compare them because you have a wife and you have two children and you have a church. And he goes, I travel the world and I do this and I do, you know. So like based on where you are, we tend to make comparisons. And go, I'm not as holy as that person or I'm not as generous as that person or I'm not as wealthy as that person. God is measuring you based on what he's given you. And what he's given you is based on what he knows you have capacity for. Right? So this morning, the message of kingdom accountability, first and foremost, is stop weighing yourself against things that God is not weighing you against. And if that doesn't set someone free this morning, I don't, like we might as well just go home. Stop weighing yourself against things that God is not weighing you against. right So you want to uh, here's another one though. Uh, Daniel chapter five, verse 27. This is uh, the story, if you go back further in Daniel chapter five, uh, is the story of the writing on the wall. And, and, and the hand of God writes on the wall, and they don't know what it is, so they bring da- Daniel. Uh, to interpret I think I said David before. Daniel is who I'm talking about. Uh, and he comes and he interprets it. And he says, one of the words that's up there is, is, is it's not tickle, it's tickle. or tickle. I don't know, it's what it is. But it means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. See, what I find interesting about that is, it's like, you've not been weighed based on my life. You've, not, you've been weighed on the balances. See, when we think of God as a judge, you know, again, how... Words don't matter how we imagine words matter. And when we imagine God as the judge, we tend to think of the courtroom official. We tend to, you know, but there's several pictures that are, that are outlined. Uh, one of the ones that Paul uses quite regularly, like Paul was into the Olympics, right? What does a judge do in the Olympics? Right? So it's about reward. It's about skill. But it's about accountability, And it's about, you know, in the book of Judges, they were the ones that made things right. So there's all these different images of what a judge looks like, but we just tend to have this angry, the reality is our view of God as judge is actually quite unjust, right? And yet everything that goes through scripture is God showing what a just God he is. And that confronts us and liberates us at the same time. So you remember in my story earlier, I had a I was held to a higher standard of accountability because of my position and relationship I had with the owner. Take a look at these stories, which just fascinate me. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 24. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done many of his miracles. Because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. And this is what he says. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago. Clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, it will, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on the day of judgment than you. Why? Because you have relationship with me. I love New you people in Capernaum, will you, will you be honored in heaven? No, you will go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you were being done in the wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. You go, well, that seems grossly unfair. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on judgment day than you. And so we love to do this thing and go, hey, I might be this, but at least I'm not that. God goes, that's not what I'm measuring you against. Because they don't have relationship with me. You have relationship with me. You have position with me. We go, I don't like this. I liked my God of reset better, who just absconded me from, from accountability. And this is New Testament, too, by the way. See Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 48. This is again, I just want you to read this. I want you to hear this. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. Two things, how it changes your life. So, in fact, let's think of three questions. Three questions before we read this. Number one, how does it challenge your life? What part of that do you read and go, ooh? Second one, how does it liberate your life? Where does it let you go? And thirdly, how does it change how you share the gospel with others? or how you live out your faith with others? Those three questions, okay? How does it challenge you? How does it liberate you? How does it change how you live with others? Here we go. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. This is about, so, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast, then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit to eat. These are the rewards for accountability. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. Seems logical. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect. Peter asked, Lord, is that illustration for us or for everyone? (laughs) Watch this. And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what, the servant th- but if, what if the servant thinks, My master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? Well, can, we, can we go back there for a moment? What I find interesting there is it has nothing to do with whether he still did the work has to do with how he treated other people while he did the work. Like it doesn't say, so he stopped doing the work. No, no, he just started beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk at the same time. Uh, but, so, but if the servant, th- yeah, next one, sorry. The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. Good times. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required. With great power comes great responsibility. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So let me just put it to you this way. If you're asking for an outpouring of the kingdom of God, you're asking for a relationship with the kingdom of God. You're asking for position with God. You're asking for accountability. I'm not saying you're asking to be condemned to the pits of hell. Again, the understanding of death, darkness, and decrease, life, light, and increases. But what I, I believe that we are looking at is as we pursue the kingdom dream, We've talked about kingdom community. We've talked about kingdom authority. We've talked about kingdom continuity. Societies only exist where there is a sense of accountability. Like, you know, Ali, in his role as a police officer, he's there to keep us accountable. Right? How many of you drive differently when there's a police officer around? (laughs) Right? How many of you, like, if you've ever, but, you know, if you remember high school or maybe you're in high school or you had a reliever teacher uh, and that reliever teacher leaves the room for five minutes, what happens? Chaos. Chaos happens. Teacher's gone. Let's go crazy. So, so there's two things that motivate us to accountability. And I, would, I think that the, the one is better than the other. I mean, both are important, but I think one is better than the other. See, we can spend all of our time thinking of the fact that there's going to be a judgment one day for everybody. And that's not about heaven or hell. It's about what did you do with what I gave you? Uh, and, and if you're in Jesus, you go, oh, but there is a part of that that goes, cool, you said a prayer, great. But it didn't get into your life. It didn't change anything. It didn't, you know. And then you were jealous and you were greedy and you were this and you were that. Have you been faithful with what I gave you? Whether that was one bag, two bags, five bags of silver, have you been capable, have, sorry, have you been faithful with what I gave you because I gave it to you because I knew you could do it? I knew you could do it. I had faith in you. I had, and I have resourcing for you. So, so follow me here. Follow me because you're not being weighed against anybody else. You're getting. You're being weighed against what God has given you. What did you do with what you had capacity for? See John, First John, Chapter Three. I'm borrowing this from another thing I saw this week with Shane, and I just think it's, I just think it's fascinating. Um, Tanneker and I were talking about it this week. First John chapter 3, uh, verse 16. I'm going to start there, but just I'll pick you up there. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 17. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Other translations say uh, say, have no pity. And you go... Well, I can have pity for them. But see, the idea here is actually something that's not just passive, it's something that's active. And <laughs> for the, like the one time in history, the old King James wins this one. Because take a look at this. Shane showed me this. It's, uh, you've got that next one there? You lost it. Can you just convert it to the King James version, real quick? There we go. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How far has our language come? (laughs) In other words, what God is telling you is if you see someone in need and you don't open your bowels of (laughs) compassion, Like, what are you doing? Now, we read that today and go, that's disgusting. <laughs> and there's plenty of people who are already crapping on the suffering, right? But see, in, in this day and in this time, the source of life was the bell. Like we, that, you know, so if, if you said, like, Jesus is in my heart, they go, that's weird, that thing that beats in your chest. Life came from here, right? When you got excited, where did you feel it? When you got nervous, where did you feel it? So the gut, we talk about trusting your gut. But this actually talks about opening. If you, if you ha- so let me put it to you in a real s- straight way. In a re- Let's get away from this now. Like just, if you need to have a giggle for a minute, you have it and we'll, we'll move on, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it was me. I needed to have a giggle. <laughs> this, is what, this is what accountability looks like. If someone is in need and you have the capacity to help them, and you don't open that capacity over their lives, then the love of God is not in you. And that's confronting. But let me also, it's also freeing. Because sometimes we stress out about the things that we don't have the capacity to meet. Like, put it to you this way, if, if you have $10 in your bank account right now, you, you don't have the capacity to reach the need of the poor, right? You don't. You've got enough for maybe a large coffee and that's, like, that's it. But what is your capacity? What is the thing that God has given you because he knows you are capable what is the thing that God has given you because he knows that you're capable and are you opening it? Because those are the things. Those are the things we get measured against. Those are the things. And here's the reality. I believe that God has put gifts in every single one. And let me just start to open them up again. Let me start to bring them out a little bit. See, because if you have money, you're accountable for how you use it. But if you don't, like don't worry about it. And don't worry about how they use it. It's not your job. Your job. So, but let me give you this. One. If you have children, If if that's if that's the bag of silver that God's given you, He's given you children, then love those children. Raise those children. Because that's what God is 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 measuring his accountability to you on. Because I know you can do it. I know you can do it. If you have a spouse, hello. If you have a job, if you have a ministry, if you have a calling, if you have leadership or authority, you guess that you're accountable. Let's wrap this up. Jess, you want to come play the keys for me? Just play something reassuring, <laughs> <laughs> upbeat. upbeat. Something. <laughs> I don't want to break you this morning, but I want you to know that when we pursue accountability, the kingdom of God outpours in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I want to see. see, Because the question might be, the challenge might be, and I'm going to speak into this more next week. Because uh, you might go, well, it's better not to grow as a Christian. Surely by not growing or not forming a relationship, I don't grow greater accountability. So I'll just stay at a distance. And, and, and then that'll be fine. Then I won't be more accountable. I tell you something, when you fall in love with Jesus, the blessings outweigh the accountability. The outpouring outweighs the accountability, the love, the hope, the peace, the joy. You know, like some of you, you, in that pursuit of the unaccountable life. Oh, this is good, I like this. In the pursuit of the unaccountable life, you're actually miserable, right? And you go, I feel like if I was accountable to things, I would be even more miserable. But actually, see, In this sentence, remember that sentence right back at the beginning, we can focus on two things. We can focus on the accountability or we can focus on the position and the relationship with the owner. And I don't mean position as in power. I mean position as in standing. See, we can can read that sentence and we can go, oh, accountability. And I'll be real, because I'm a human too. I read accountability and I go, I don't want to do that. The hardest things about a pastor is being constantly accountable for everything you say, do or post on Facebook. But one of the most rewarding things is the relationship that I get to enjoy with Jesus. And I will take the relationship and the position as in standing, not as in power as a pastor. But I will take the position and standing and relationship with Jesus with all of the accountability. Because He's worth it. And because I love Him. And because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And next week, I'm going to finish this series up. I'm going to talk about kingdom rewards. And that'll encourage you. We don't talk about kingdom rewards, but the Bible talks a whole lot about kingdom rewards. So we're going to talk about that. But real quickly. Question one, where do you need to stop comparing yourselves to other people's lives? Where do you need to stop putting things on your scale that God didn't put on your scale. Your life is your life. Your journey is your journey. No one's walked where you've walked. Nobody knows quite so intricately the things that go on in your life that cause you pain, that cause you suffering, that cause you difficulty, that cause you anxiety, except one. God knows. He knows your capacity. And out of knowing your capacity, he knows what he can trust you with. And so this morning, God wants you to know that if he's given it to you, it's because he trusts you, he trusts you. So this accountability thing is not about like, does God trust you? It's proof that he already does. Do you hear me? It's proof that he already does. Two. where do you have capacity what is your capacity so often we think of what we don't have don't we I don't have that I don't have that bank balance I don't have that but what was Jesus question over and over again what have you got in your hand Moses what have you got I got a stick wicked what do you got I got some bread and some fish wicked we can run with that what is your capacity because what God has put in you, then the question becomes, am I using my capacity? Am I opening my bowels of compassion? The Greek word is shplakna. Am I opening my life? Am I opening my heart? Am I opening my capacity to give to others? Here's a confronting one. This one's confronting for me as well. If Jesus looked through your diary, I mean like your appointment one, not the dear diary. What you say is important. Would it be reflected in your journal? If Jesus was to look through your screen time, your browser history, I don't know about That's that inappropriate. I just mean we spend more time looking at pictures of cats and then go, I don't have time to read my Bible. The 50 cats would say otherwise. Where do you have capacity? Where do you have capacity? And see, the far more encouraging thing of accountability is not knowing that there's a judgment one day, but knowing that there's a present God today. He is here and He journeys with you loves you and he upholds you in his right hand and he knows your capacity I believe this morning as we embrace kingdom accountability our relationship with God will get better and our relationship with the world will get better because accountability is attractive it doesn't sound attractive but I tell you when we own our mistakes that's appealing now we go oh, no making mistakes is unappealing not as unappealing as not owning them have you ever noticed that actually you feel better about someone who makes a mistake and owns it than someone who doesn't make a mistake at all yeah authenticity can we all stand again Lord I thank you this morning that You have called us to live in kingdom community, that You have established kingdom authority and kingdom continuity, and Your kingdom is coming on the earth as it is in heaven, and You invite us to be participators in it, and You give us the resourcing, and You give us the encouragement, and You give us the the unity, Uh, and Lord, in that You give us accountability because You want us to succeed. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would embrace it, that we would pursue it. When the world runs away from it, that we would learn to love it. Not because of accountability for accountability's sake, but because of standing and relationship with the owner. May we never trade oneness with you for freedom from accountability. And Lord, as we continue to pursue the kingdom dream, we pray that next week, We will experience, we will enter into Him. We will know more and more and more the kingdom rewards, the plans that You have for us to build, to honour, to bless, to nurture, to increase what You have done and what You are doing in each one of us and in our community. And Lord, would You receive the glory for every single part of it, we pray, in Your mighty matchless, powerful name, the joy that we get to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. We love you. Amen. Amen.